This is a GRDC podcast. Now, what is the threat posed by crown rot to growers in southern New South Wales coming out of a dry year in 2018? To answer that question, crown rot specialist Stephen Simfendorfer from the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries at Tamworth recently travelled to a GRDC update at Wagga Wagga. Now, Steve told the audience that it was important for growers and their advisors to understand there are three distinct phases of crown rot, survival, infection and expression. The biggest threat from crown rot, he told me, is only considering it an issue in a dry year. Yeah, so certainly further south, out of the traditional area, uh, up north where we, we think of crown rot all the time so down here into southern New South Wales at Wagga and, and I think the risk is yeah that they get a dry year they see the expression of the whiteheads from crown rot infection and that's the only real time they think of it within their management but what we know is the actual fungus infects plants you know cereal crops every year and actually it's the bigger years the wetter years where you get more biomass put back in more stubble loads put in that's when your big inoculum loads are going in so it's obviously going unnoticed because you know more reliable generally during grain fill here in terms of rainfall and, and generally lower temperatures than what we experience further north, that they don't get as much or as frequent expression and see those whiteheads and the big yield loss. So, yeah, really just trying to urge them that you've got to think of it longer term. Otherwise, you're really taking the risk of just getting that e- expression every time you get a tough finish and, and run into the same problems. So you're saying the inoculum's basically there all the time. It's just uh, whether it expresses itself from uh, yeah, yeah. year to year. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, so the, the plant gets infected. So not every paddock's got crown, obviously, but it's a stubble-borne pathogen. So and also gets on grass weeds. So if you've got that in your system, then you're, you know, it's a stubble and pathogen that survives in there. So it's certainly infecting crops in wet years, and you can see the characteristic basal browning even in a wet year. It's only we don't get the, the expression of whiteheads. That only happens when the plant gets stressed during grain fill. The fungus proliferates in the base of the plant blocks up the, the plumbing system and that's when the heads die prematurely and they get the whitehead. So and certainly for guys down here south, like yet yeah, trees in paddocks can be a pain at times, but that's usually an, an early warning system for these guys. If they look even in the better years around trees, where the trees competing with the crop for moisture, that's where they'll actually get expression. So it's a bit of a heads up that if I don't do something about this pathogen, then that could happen across my whole paddock if I get a, a tough year and that's when they'll get big yield loss and, and be quite disappointed. Now, as you say, crown rot is really well understood and, and acted on further up north. Do you think it's more prevalent than people realise down in the south, particularly in terms of inoculum levels? There's a number of sources of data we can support that with. So certainly the DNA test, predict to be, tested ascending by growers. We know that the, the crown rot fungus is down here from that testing. So the fungus itself is not the limiting factor. It's distributed wherever we've gone to stubble retention systems, stubble-borne pathogen, higher frequencies of cereals and rotation, we end up running into a crown rot problem. It's just that yield loss side of it. And certainly uh, Andrew Milgate and Brad Baxter, who are both researchers with New South Wales DPI based here in actual Wagga, yeah, they've worked on crown rot the last couple of years and, and even done a survey last year that shows that yeah, the fungus is certainly there in crops. That was a random survey of, of wheat and barley crops. So we know it's here. It's just a matter of, of accepting it's here and dealing with it. The big issue here too is it's, it's quite easy to misdiagnose. So it's getting correct diagnosis is very important. So stem frost here last year, 
was quite confusing and that actually kills tillers off too and some people thought you know well is it crown or is it stem frost and that's what we took them through today of how to actually chase it down from a deadhead down to the base and if it's crown rot it'll always have that characteristic browning at the base of, of the tillers. And take all is very similar in, in a lot of ways as well. Yeah take all's funny so take all tends to like it a bit wetter but certainly in, in hosts on a lot of our, our grass weeds as well but also the cereals. The, the big difference there is take all causes a blackening quite a dark blackening at the base of plants and it's actually a root pathogen whereas crown rot can infect roots but, but nowhere to the same extent so one of the easiest or the or two easy ways to distinguish take all from crown rot is take all will, will make all heads on an affected plant go white why it's called take all takes all the yield whereas crown rot tends to be scattered tillers on individual plants but the easiest way is just to pull the plant out of the ground try to pull out of the ground if it's take all then it's its root system is usually that rotted that it just pulls out easily whereas crown rot the roots still hang on and you tend to snap the plant at the lower nodes which are heavily infected so that's a really easy diagnostic way just to have a look it wouldn't have been a lot of decomposition last year in, a, in such a dry year so what can growers look forward to this year yeah and i think that's why testing is important so that was the main point we're trying to make is, is just don't think of your cereal crops that didn't do so well last year yes certainly they've either maintained or slightly increased your inoculum loads the bigger risk could actually be 217 crops and potentially even 216 crops with you know two relatively dry years that it's actually the big build up in those wet years particularly 216 where you put a big stubble load in you only need a lower you know, even a lower percentage infection of those will carry a lot more inoculum through. And yes, certainly decomposition is driven by uh, moisture temperature. Temperature is not the limiting factor, moisture is. So if you don't get that wetting, and certainly, in, in, and the big issue is in standing wheat stubble, which is great for numerous reasons, the actual stubble doesn't stay wet for extended periods of time to really break down quickly. So in a standing situation, the stubble will last a lot longer and therefore serves as an inoculum source for a lot longer. And how much longer? It depends on the conditions, but certainly, you know, it, we're saying it's out to a two to four year break. You might need to really break it all down. The thing I'm trying to get across is I, I think we don't need to focus on just getting rid of the stubble. The stubble's not the enemy. It's the amount that's got the crown rot fungus in there. So it's doing all we can to limit those stubble infection loads getting high in the first place. So then we don't have that issue. And, you know, that's where inter-row sowing and mixing your break crops with where you put your cereal rows can really limit the amount of stubble that gets infected in the first place. Two to four years is a not, not realistic. Yeah, two to four years is not realistic on the tight rotations, and that's just a, a function of where we're at, where we're into that intensive cropping. Margins are, are smaller, so there's the need to do that. Yeah, so certainly the stuff that Andrew Milgate and Brad Baxter have done, rotation work here at, at Wagga, yeah, one-year break of canola when you've got high crown or inoculum levels in your wheat is not anywhere near enough to bring your inoculum levels down. They showed that a two-year break, so a canola then followed by either a lupin or a field pea pulse crop afterwards, significantly reduces inoculum levels but because they're really high they still only brought it down to a medium it was very significant reduction but even might need more than a two year when they're really high so yeah I just think don't get them to that high level in the first instance and that's where think about it every year and, and, and monitor whether it's around trees or whatever to see a bit of a heads up and yeah stomp on it before you've got a big problem you've got a number of years before you can get rid of. And the predictor B will tell you that will it? Yeah predictor B certainly works yeah so what we've done a lot of work with Alan Mackay down at Sardi there of, of improving the both the sampling method and the correlations of what that will mean in terms of plants infected and potential yield loss so there's a lot of data. Uh, the National Paddock Survey we've used that as a source of, of samples to really correlate pre-sowing predictor B, D 
15 A tests and adding stubble in now for crown rot, which makes it a lot better, and what the outcome is at harvest of actually measuring infection levels with crown rot. You showed a, a map today that showed the spread of predictor B testing around Australia on crown rot. In this part of a country, the southern parts of New South Wales and Victoria, South Australia, wasn't a great result in terms of the number of predicted bee tests. Is that improving now? I think South Australia, because it had come out of Saudi in the first place, based in Adelaide, there was uptake and there's probably been a bit of decline as they got confidence in understanding what their different systems are doing to the pathogen levels because it tracks so many different pathogens, not just crown, it's got nematodes and everything. So I think you, you see an uptake and then decline as they get there. It, so it's a really an educational tool. Yeah, I think this southern New South Wales is sort of a bit of a hole for usually not as many samples done so there hasn't been any really real champions research wise certainly Andrew and, and Brady using extensively in their their trial programs and in their surveys so I think it's there but it's it's just getting confidence and I guess seeing that they can implement a management strategy based on that result is what drives uptake and that's what it's done elsewhere is that you know certainly up north where we are we've got basically crown rot and then predilancus thornii uh, root lesion nematode drive the system, growers getting a handle on what those levels are and managing that, they can see the economic outcomes, so therefore they're willing to test. Has there been any work done on losses in this part of the country in terms of crown rot? They can get as high a loss as we do. It's all about the temperature and, and lack of moisture during grain fields or how stressed they get. So in tough years like 218, yeah, they can get as high a loss as us, you know, up 40-50% in susceptible wheat varieties. It's a general rule, but because of the increased reliability of rainfall during the, the grain field period and slightly lower temperatures so certainly as you go west the temperatures during grain field go up and they're more prone to higher loss because they're, they're more stressed you come back into the softer then that's when they, the levels go down same level of infection but yeah very different in terms of yield outcome and, and the data we showed today it, you know it can be 20 mils difference in rainfall during that september october and then a three degrees difference in grain field temperatures like hotter at condable and the wagga yeah can take it from 50 percent yield loss under that tough hot temperatures down to you know only 20 percent so it's really big interaction. Barley is fairly well known as a crop that's perhaps not as susceptible to crown rot is that the case? No it's a commonly held view with a lot of growers and certainly they've learnt that painfully up northern New South Wales so barley is a very good host to the crown rot fungus and gets infected the same levels or more than, than some of the bread wheats. And this is where we're trying to pull apart the inoculum infection side from the actual expression side. Barley tends to suffer less yield loss purely through escape. The fact that it, it fills its grain earlier relative to wheat. So on a same sowing date, you generally get less yield loss in a barley crop than in, in a wheat crop. But yeah, if, if that escape mechanism is removed by either delayed sowing of barley or in longer season barley varieties and they're trying to fill their grain under hotter conditions, they can still get significant yield loss. The other point we want to make with barley is, yeah, just it is building up inoculum levels. There's no, not a break crop. You just tend not to see the whiteheads because of that escape. The other thing we know too with the crown rot fungus, it does not care what time of year it is. If it gets stressed, it wants to grow on the base of the plant to maximise its survival. In that situation, it'll actually can kill barley plants. So we've seen when we get stressed during vegetative stages, so say in August, if we get some run of hot weather and there's not a lot of stored moisture, we'll actually see the crown rot fungus will kill physically kill barley plants. Will that badly rot the, the crown and the roots that, yeah, the barley plants just die? So, yeah, it's certainly just trying to say, yeah, barley can be a good option if you've got a medium to high risk. But if you get stressed during vegetative stages, it could be a bit of a disaster, which has unfortunately happened for some growers out around Canamble there the last couple of years. So.
there's been some work done on uh, the interaction of nitrogen on crown rot. Yeah, this is a funny one. So this is something that's probably been around since the 90s. There was some original work done that certainly Lester Burgess, who was the god of crown rot back then, those days had done, and other people. And yeah, so the interaction of nitrogen with crown rot is quite interesting. There's two different ways. One's we've sort of always known that if we get our water balance wrong with our nitrogen input, so our stored water, and we put too much nitrogen on, we can use our stored water up producing too much biomass, run out of water then for grain fill, and we can actually get more stressed and make our crown rot worse. The one that's interesting, which has popped up again mainly through Northern Grower Alliance trials, looking at nitrogen use efficiency and having a number of trials get crown rot in them, actually find it under their higher nitrogen input, this is upfront sowing urea treatments, actually the higher nitrogen ones are actually ending up with greater expression of whiteheads and, and more infections. So we've done some work to show that, yeah, as you add more artificial nitrogen at sowing, you're increasing the incidence of plants that get infected with crown rot. Now, this is pretty new work, but, yeah, that's quite alarming that that's happening. So some national trials we did last year with GRDC support, yeah, certainly shows that's happening. And, and the warning, I guess, is is why, this is why you test. So if you're testing, you've got medium to high crown rot risk, you really want to think about your nitrogen inputs because it's a big cost. 30 to 40% of, of your cereal production can be your nitrogen input. You're not going to get the return on investment of crown rots there. You won't get the yield kick with nitrogen. You go to feeding the fungus and, and basically stressing the crop and, and can actually exacerbate your yield loss, make it worse. Big warning. Okay, just to wrap things up, give us a bit of a summary of your key messages for the southern growers. I suppose test, 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 test. Yeah, yeah, and certainly, and to think about it all year, so think about those big years where, yeah, you're making good money, but what have I done to my inoculum loads? And, and yeah, monitor it. Don't get trapped and get caught. And I think the key thing is that there's just no magic bullet for crown rot. It's in our system. We want stubble in our system. It, it drives the system and allowed us to crop a lot of area that we couldn't crop before. We just have to deal with the pathogens that come along with it. And it's really an integrated approach. So there's not one single lever that you can pull and you get rid of the problem. It's a matter of getting a lot of little things right and keeping those levels down so that you, you, know, you do have a dry year like last year. You don't end up with a disaster that you have to do with over the next two to four years so is the main messages. Stephen Simplendorfer from New South Wales DPI at Tamworth. So talk to your agronomist about predictor B tests just as Steve advises.